1: this, this
2: is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: After Vivo 15, a steer used as a mascot by the University of Texas at Austin charged Uga 10, A dog used as a mascot by the University of Georgia at the Sugar Bowl, PETA, sent letters today urging both schools to end their use of live animal mascots. Quote, It's indefensible to subject animals to the stress of being packed up, carted from state to state, and paraded in front of a stadium full of screaming fans, says PETA Senior Vice President Lisa Lang. Quote continues, It's no surprise that a skittish steer would react to perceived threat by charging and PETA is calling on the University of Texas and the University of Georgia to learn from this dangerous incident, retire their live animal mascots and stick to the talented, costumed mascots who can lead cheers, react to the crowd and pump up the team. Close quote. And with that, good Thursday afternoon and welcome to Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borke, Brian Scott Rippey in the studio. Brian Haydad is back from Tampa traveling yesterday. We will be joined by him on the Farm Bureau phone line coming up a little bit later this afternoon. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at MSLandBank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. So, boys, PETA wants Texas and Georgia to shut it down with regard to Bevo and UGA on the road. What do you think? I think we should end PETA.
2: (laughs) We'd like PETA to pack up and uh, not travel anymore, perhaps. I mean, I I will say this, though. What were those people thinking, walking a dog in front of that cow? Not just any cow, a one-ton Longhorn. What are you doing?
4: I mean, you've
2: got 20-year-old you got Steven, and the first time he's ever worn a cowboy hat with his little chaps on, you know, looking all cute with his Texas orange. Do You think he's going to stop a bull when it charges through that, that faux metal gate? Are you kidding me?
4: I don't think anybody's stopping a bull. Exactly. So why are you walking a little dog in front of that thing? What do you think a cow's going to do? You know, now that we've done a couple, like I don't get to do winners and losers that often, but I've done it in the last couple weeks a couple times. And like it's got me in the mindset of thinking when I saw that, it was like instantly Bevo's a winner. But now I'm more tempted to put PETA as a loser.
3: Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Sports Nation did a uh, little mini documentary in which they had the big, big voice guy kind of chronicling the attack of Bevo on UGA. I, attack. I'll use that term loosely. But he called Bevo a bull. And Bevo's not a bull. Bevo is a steer. Catherine Switzer at the SEC office uh, said, this is funny except he's not a bull but a steer. And I said, guess here is that you may have to explain the difference to some people. She suggested that maybe we should just reach out to Jackie Sherrill and allow him to explain. And if you weren't around in 1990, oh, what was it, mid-90s, early mid-90s, you may need the explanation on that as well. Yes, there was a live castration at a Mississippi State football practice that served as a motivational technique for Mississippi State before they played Texas when Jackie Sherrill was the coach. And obviously he has strong ties to Texas A&M. I didn't think we'd go there today, but uh, we have gone there. So, glad to have you along. You want to be part of the show this afternoon, you can text us on the Ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. That's the number for the C Spire text line. C Spire, customer inspired. You can also tweet us at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. So, glad to have you along. Louie, you are in North Mississippi. You say it's situations like this one that make it hard to support PETA in legitimate grievances. PETA needs to learn which... Fights to pick. Philip and says it is a steer, not a cow. Jackie Sherrill can teach Borky if he needs a lesson. So Borky called Bevo a cow, and Rippy called Bevo a
2: bull. Come on, guys! <laughs> Come on, guys! I, I'm I'm doing it on purpose to to kind of take a shot at Texas and belittle their mascot. And, and the the worst part about it, I, I know I'm being super sensitive today, but. When that cow, the longhorn, went after that little dog, a bunch of Texas fans started cheering, screaming, "Get him, Bebo, get him!" Like, what if it actually got him? Like because of a football game, you're cheering that that a massive cow is going after an innocent little dog. What is wrong with you people?
4: <laughs> I actually didn't do it on purpose, but I mean, it's semantics. It's a cow with big horns. and like it charges you. That's bullish. It's They're they're probably all in the same family. I don't know. But big weekend for college football and animals. You saw the Eagle go nuts and land on that drunk guy in the uh, playoff game.
3: Yeah, and everybody thought, oh, Hey, it's a sign. Notre Dame's going to win. It landed on two different Notre Dame fans. Uh, that didn't work out. By the way, a, uh, a note from someone that says you forgot to mention that the castration actually worked as a motivational technique. Mississippi State beat Texas. And uh, somebody points out that... Um, there was not anything actually innocent about that dog, Ugga.
2: Although, Uga just uh, he, a big he says old fat the dog, lazy started it. the dog did not start anything with a cow that big. He probably didn't even see it around all the people and the fencing and stuff. Come on now.
3: Yeah. I
2: will say this. Oh, You know, Ole Miss
3: played in Austin several years ago. And that, that particular version of Bevo, which I guess was Bevo 14, he was getting a little long in the tooth and wasn't, real interested in doing anything i did walk over though to his his pen area uh at
4: dkr and uh took took a picture Vivo's cool man you bring up an interesting point though did you see how easy he ripped through that fencing what's the point of the fencing if he's just going to blitz through it like that well generally i don't think Vivo's real interested in
3: ripping through anything but what uh, when you when you take a a texas longhorn and you provoke him and to Borky's point, you're talking, what, uh, what six, eight hundred, a thousand pounds, maybe a ton? Oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. I mean, if he decides he wants to go somewhere, your point a second ago, Borky, though, about what if Bevo had actually decided he really wanted to go after somebody? That cameraman that just had a little bit of a scrape on his back, which he showed on Twitter later? I mean, he could have been gored, like, running of the bulls style in, uh, in Madrid, in, in, not Madrid, excuse me, in Pamplona, that happens. If you were in Pamplona, at this stage of your life, given the opportunity, would you run with the Bulls?
4: Rippy? Mm, I originally was going to say no, but I'd probably do it. If I'm already over there, might as well. Borky, would you run with the Bulls in Pamplona? Yeah, but I would be one of those people that, like,
2: started the line and ran and got to the stadium long before the Bulls actually showed up and then told everyone that I ran with the Bulls?
3: Yeah, I I think I've told this story before. I have few regrets in my life. I I just, you know, it's it's been a pretty good run. I mean, there are some things that I'd like to do over on, but nothing that I'd like it. One of my best friends, uh, when we were in college, went to Europe one summer, and it was a backpacking trip. You know, six weeks or whatever. And had asked me to go along as well. And I came up with whatever reason. that I couldn't afford it or I had, you know, a grass-cutting business. And so I had to do whatever the reason, I decided I couldn't swing it. It's one of the things that I regret in life. And, yes, on that trip, he and another couple of buddies um, did run with the Bulls. And I 100% would have done it then. And I 100% would do it now, given the opportunity. So, uh, let's see. They said on the uh, on the ball uh, broadcast the other night. I don't know if it was the television broadcast or maybe the Georgia broadcast that Ugo weighs sixty eight pounds, and that Bivo weighs sixteen hundred pounds. It would not
4: have been much of a fight.
2: Yeah, but let's cheer when the cow goes after it because
4: football. I'm. I don't know if you're in there and you've been like. Doing what people do in New Orleans, and you see a big bull going after just something in general, it's probably going to cause like a reaction.
2: I-, I err on the side of dog every time.
4: Yeah, if you try, try dog, to hurt yeah, but... a dog, I want to hurt you, no matter
2: what. Well, yeah, it wasn't a person trying to hurt I a don't dog. Care. I mean,
3: this was this was like
2: then I blame your people doing involved. Yeah, it should have never been in that situation. In the handlers, who there was one that was interviewed by the Athletic that said, "Oh, Bevo, he wasn't going after him. He he just wanted to be friendly." Are you kidding me? He ran through a metal fence and over people, not to be friendly, you idiot. Yeah. Uh, good to
3: be with you this afternoon. We got a bunch to get into after uh, a couple of days to. Um Digest things. We'll get into hey dad with uh, some thoughts on Mississippi State's football season, kind of, uh, kind of in its entirety. What do we know? How do we grade the year? How do we grade Joe Moorhead's first season? What's next for Mississippi State? What should expectations be for year number two? We'll get into all of that a little bit later this afternoon. We're going to spend some time with John Harris from the Houston Texans who are in the playoffs, that's coming up a a little bit later this afternoon on the Farm Bureau phone line as well. There are a lot of people that are selling the national championship game to you this year as don't talk about fatigue, don't talk about people being tired of a rematch, this game is epic. Is it really epic, or is it just more of the same? Sports Talk Mississippi, just getting started with you. On this Thursday afternoon, January 3rd, in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Forky, you asked the question Are you the only person in sports media who thinks everyone else is missing the point on this national title being stale thing? Brad Edwards from ESPN on a radio station in Tuscaloosa earlier today. This isn't just another Bama Clemson game, this isn't just another matchup of two undefeated teams for national championship. Uh, for a national championship, this is one of the greatest single-game matchups we've ever seen in college football history. That feels a little hyperbolic. Stuart Mandel from The Athletic. There has never been an FBS title game between two 14-0 teams. Tua versus Trevor. Trevor. NFL players in almost every position. The word fatigue should not be mentioned anywhere near this game. There are lots of others who've talked about it as well. Uh, ask if we should be tired of Alabama or Clemson and the general response has been, well, no, it's the best two teams in college football. On that, we can agree, right that that these are the two best teams in college football and at least at a at a very oh I, I don't know um, from a from a starting point, That's what we want to see, right? We want to see the two best teams in the country play for the national championship. Would you agree on that point, Borky?
2: Right. And I'm sure the game is going to be a lot of fun. On the surface, it should be a pretty good football game to watch. But? But it's the same team's. And I think that's where everybody's missing the point. It's stale because it's the same thing. I I mean, have you ever had a $100 steak before? It's pretty incredible, right? Two in a row would be awesome. But if you're doing that every night, there's going to be a point where you want anything else besides that. Things that are great don't need to be consumed on a daily basis without you having the desire for variety. On top of that, everybody listening to this as a college football fan, right? They have a team that is most likely not Alabama and Clemson. And if there is variety, if there is somebody else, it gives them hope that maybe my team will be there one day. Because as it sits, nobody thinks they can make it other than Alabama and Clemson fans at this point. If you could have had one upset... In the, the
3: two semifinal games to set up either Alabama Notre Dame or Clemson Oklahoma. Which would you have picked and would you be more excited about the national championship game if there had been an upset in one of those semifinal games?
2: Probably Oklahoma because of Kyler Murray. Well,
4: yeah, did you? Seeing watch the
2: Heisman today? Trophy winner play in the national championship would be a better story than four in a row. So you would have
3: preferred to have watched Clemson and Oklahoma play in the national championship game this year than Alabama and Oklahoma? Yeah. You mean Alabama Notre Dame? No, no, no. I'm saying then, then what we've got. Then I'm sorry, then, then Alabama-Clemson that we've actually got. Yes. Okay. <sighs> See, I have trouble with this one. It's like both sides of the story can be true. Yes, I would prefer to watch a couple of other teams, but I want to watch the two best teams play each other for a national championship. And so in that scenario, you've got to say, well, I-, I wish that two teams not named Alabama and Clemson were actually the best teams in college football this year or next year. I mean, we're going to go into next season with the exact same thought going in. Right, We're going into next year, and we will say in August that Alabama and Clemson are the two best teams in college football going into the season. And most people will pick Alabama and Clemson to meet each other in the national championship game. Yes, both of those teams are losing pieces, but both teams recruit at a level that almost nobody else is recruiting at. Ohio State is. They'll both be returning starting quarterbacks. Tua Tonga-Vailoa going into his second full season as a starter. Same thing for Trevor Lawrence, although two obviously burst onto the scene a year ago in the championship game. They'll have lots of pieces back and lots of important positions, and the places where they don't have pieces returning, they're plugging in four- and five-star players to, to fill those holes. And if you get it again next year, then we're having the exact same conversation again
2: next year. So how do you change it? I mean, the simple answer is, well, just beat them, right? I mean, that's what people say. I saw Brett McMurphy say that. Oh, well, if you don't like Alabama and Clemson in the national championship, just beat them. Well, the thing is, Brett, I don't have any eligibility left, so there's nothing I can do about that. I don't know what well, you do. Well, I, but you know, he's saying had, collectively. I know I know. But Dan Wolkin actually had a, a really compelling column about lowering the scholarship limit. Take it from 85 to 75 and that would force the talent to be spread more evenly you can still field a competitive team the nfl plays on game day with 46 players colleges can play with 75 lower the amount of scholarships a team can give out and you will mass distribute just by default more of these blue chip prospects you also will
3: take away at the FBS level thirteen hundred opportunities for kids to have a college scholarship.
2: Yeah. But when has it ever been about the kids? That's cynical, I know, but I mean there are there are colleges that offer scholarships and there are a lot of kids that get scholarships that never play. That either transfer out or or get processed anyway. Yeah,
3: but I'm I'm saying you're taking away 1300 opportunities for high school student athletes to have a chance to go to college and fulfill a dream, play college football. You're okay with that?
2: At the end of the day, what's more important? For for the for the NCAA, for for ESPN, for everybody involved, what's more important? Is it money or is it giving some kids some scholarships? it's money it's always been about money it, it's all about money that's it uh,
3: your, your question of which is more important depends on who you, you ask know, who's looking at it
2: uh, obviously but if you're and, good and, enough and it, to play Division one you're good enough to get scholarships to play FCS as well
3: well but okay let's let's rewind to when you reduced the number of scholarships to a limit of 85. I mean, when you could sign unlimited players, who are the powers? Who are the national powers in college football when you could sign
2: unlimited players? Same ones you've got right now, same for Nebraska and Tennessee and Nebraska,
3: maybe? Yeah, Nebraska was at a different time. Oklahoma was a power. Southern Cal was a power. Ohio State was a power. Guess what? Teams are going to adapt. The powers are still going to be the powers, whether they have... 85 scholarships or 75 scholarships or
2: 105 scholarships or unlimited scholarships. Well, then what do you do? Because that's the only answer that I can think of that, that would
3: actually do something. If you were coming at it from a different angle, if there had been eight teams in a playoff and you ended up with Alabama against Clemson in the national championship game, would you still have a problem with it? No. Even if it was the same two teams that you had two years ago and three years ago? It and would this be year?
2: easier to swallow, yeah. Okay. And at the end of the day, I mean, just as a fan, it, I like I said yesterday, I want more games that have something on the line. We've only had three games in college football that mean anything, and two of them were boring football games with the same team. So if, if we get more games where Ohio State and Washington are playing in the Rose Bowl for a playoff game, at least that game matters more than just a beautiful setting in a really cool stadium.
3: Okay, so you say only three games that, that matter. You're talking about in the postseason yes. or period?
2: Well, in the postseason because there are games in the regular season that lead to the postseason. But games that have title implications in college football, we have three. Where if you added eight teams, you may get the same result, but at least there were more games with stakes on the line.
4: What do you think, Rippy? About the more games or even the playing field? Well, I mean, evening the playing field, is there a solution? I don't think there's one that's going to directly even it. Not in the, at least not in not in a quick time span. I just think you've got the Saban dynasty versus kind of a very close version of it with Dabo and I just, I don't, I don't know if there's any way to even it out. There are teams that are close, Georgia's close, Oklahoma's close, Ohio State's close. So I'm not sure if like they need to even it out. Just I'd like to see how it plays out over the next five years. Now that Georgia's closer and Oklahoma's closer, Texas A&M feels like they're Texas too. Texas,
3: you got some teams that are that are chasing. Now, can they get to the finish line? That's where we'll have to wait and see. At Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Matt Luke has added another assistant coach to his staff. We'll tell you who next. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. not sure that I teased it properly when we were going to the break when I said that Matt Luke had hired a new assistant coach, and we'll tell you who it is. There is a story from footballscoop.com that says, barring any unforeseen circumstances, New Mexico offensive coordinator Calvin McGee is expected to join the Ole Miss staff. So Rich Rodriguez was recently named offensive coordinator, and McGee is a guy that's been with him for a long time. Rich Rodriguez did not coach this past year, and so Calvin McGee went and got a job elsewhere, offensive coordinator again at New Mexico. Twelve of the last 13 seasons, McGee and Rich Rod have worked together at Arizona, Michigan, and West Virginia. The one season they weren't together was when McGee was the offensive coordinator at Pitt while Rodriguez spent a year out of coaching before landing the Arizona job. So that was 12 of 13 prior to this past year. So I guess that means 12 of the last 14 years. Um, so we'll see if that actually happens. Nothing official from Ole Miss. And I think there have been some reports, that the Ole Miss Spirit and other places, uh, perhaps that said that this was not uh, something
4: that was official at this point. Any, any updates you can offer? Seems imminent. But, yeah, I don't think anything's officially happened yet, and I believe that was in Football Scoop's original report that I don't think, I think it said it won't be official anytime soon, but, I mean, it's a guy that's been with Rodriguez everywhere he's gone for the last decade and a half. Makes a lot of sense, former tight end in the NFL. Although he's been an O.C. everywhere for the past 12 years or so, hasn't actually been a tight ends coach since... 96 at South Florida, I don't even really know if that makes any difference considering he played the position in the NFL, but probably something that will happen but doesn't seem to have actually like gotten into motion yet. At Arizona, Calvin McGee held the titles of co-offensive coordinator, associate head coach, and running backs
3: coach for the six seasons that Rich Rod was the head coach at uh, at the University of Arizona. If this does turn out to be the case, Matt Luke will have hired... Former national coach of the year Mike McIntyre to be the defensive coordinator, a multiple coach of the year winner in his conference, and Rich Rodriguez to be the offensive coordinator. Um, a year ago, Jack McNeil, former Division One head coach, also NFL coaching experience, to be the offensive line coach, and then a sitting defense uh, Division One offensive coordinator in Calvin McGee. Matt Luke certainly has his detractors. There are a bunch of them within the Ole Miss fan base. It's kind of hard to pick apart, though, the hires that he's made. And we talked about this some earlier this week and, you know, in in weeks and months gone by. His ability to put together a staff when he's got the opportunity to hire his guys seems like he's done a pretty good job.
4: What are his detractors' main
3: gripes? Lack of experience. That he's an, an old Miss guy. And that he didn't have coaching experience, head coaching experience. And what's he done?
4: Brought in a bunch two, of
2: dudes that have it.
4: So, and I, I doubt that's that's kind of the main motivation in making these hires. I think he's going to hire whoever he thinks can do the best job. But in in that sense, it's hard to fault him for. You know, I mean, it seems like the right hire and the right path to go. If, if you know your main, I guess, shortcoming is lack of experience. He surrounded himself with a lot of experience.
3: I did an interview on um, a national show earlier this week, and it was uh, it was on satellite radio, the uh, oh. the SEC this morning show, and it was George Schroeder from USA Today and Jackaroot, a good friend, Jackaroot. Um. And Jack asked me, he said, you know, when when you talk about a coaching locker room or a staff room where you've got multiple head coaches with big personalities, is there anything to be concerned about for Matt Luke? And I answered it this way. I said, I I feel like there there are kind of three things that you could look at. And maybe only one of them, well, I, I guess maybe, depending on how you want to look at it, a couple of them could be negative. Um, number one, and this is what you hope the outcome is. If you you guys ever read business books at all, yeah, okay, B. you
2: read? Are you
3: kidding? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> all right. So there's kind of a a common idea among really successful CEOs, and that is, if you are successful, and you are competent and confident then when you're hiring people, you are doing all that you can to surround yourself with the smartest people possible. That you're trying to bring in people into your organization that maybe have skill sets that you don't have or are the best at their jobs or maybe are better at what they do than you are at what they do. You got to be confident in your own abilities and you got to be really competent in what you do to... Be comfortable doing that. You know, there are lots of people in leadership positions who want to surround themselves with people who are lessers as opposed to better than. And so I would think that your hope would be, if you're an Ole Miss fan, that Matt Luke says, I'm going to go out and get the best people, and I don't care if they've been former head coaches. I'm confident in what I'm doing. I'm confident in my abilities. The other two things are, or I guess maybe two other scenarios that you could look at, is that... One, if you're bringing in big personalities, you open yourself up to the possibility of like a coup where somebody's scheming to get your job. You hope that's not the case. And then the other thing is, in the event that things go poorly, like very poorly, yeah, maybe from an administration standpoint, you've got potential... The, the potential to, to fill a spot if you needed it to. Obviously, those last two things would be negative. I guess, depending on how you look at it. A- am I on to anything there? Or, or
4: or am I looking at this incorrectly? I mean, in the sense that... Like, you're on to something in the sense that these definitely do not seem to be driven by ego. and. These hires are more toward kind of doing whatever you can to, like you said, surround yourself with the best and most qualified people that you can. But your last two points are valid as well that, you know, that is something, I guess, that could potentially happen when you kind of set yourself up that way. It is an interesting dynamic, though. Like, there are not really any staffs constructed like this. Not
2: many. I mean, it's better than the alternative, though, right? I mean, it's it's significantly better than having a bunch of yes-men or a bunch of unexperienced yes-men in your office if you're a head coach that has no head coaching experience. And uh, there were situational times last season and the season before that uh, are still causing Ole Miss fans to pull their hair out. So it's if you had to choose between the two, experienced head coaches, though they may have big personalities, and, I mean, it could be even difficult at times – Or a bunch of people that just say yes and are inexperienced and uh, are only there to serve you instead of being there to help you. Yeah. Because a lot of football coaches, ones that ultimately fail, surround themselves with a bunch of yes men.
3: Yeah, I think that's a reasonable way to look at it. Sports Talk Mississippi, you can text the show, 601 879 4395, 601 879 4395, or you can hit us up on Sports Talk Mississippi at Sports Talk M I S S. You know, so, so, so what are the advantages? If you're able to put together a staff, and what I was going to say a second ago is this is something that you see a lot of in college basketball, right? Remember when Tubby Smith was the head coach at Kentucky? When David Hobbs got fired at Alabama, he went and added David Hobbs, and David Hobbs was an assistant on his staff for a long time. Um, I was in Athens on, over the weekend. Tom Crean's the head coach at Georgia. He hired Joe Scott to be on his staff. Joe Scott's a former head coach at the University of Denver and played for Pete Carrill, and so he's got experience you know, in, in the, the Princeton offense. It's pretty common, actually, to, in college basketball, see head coaches who get fired who return to the bench as assistants. Um, Chris Ma- Is it Chris Mack at Louisville now? Yes. He's got Dino Gaudio on his bench. Dino, former successful head coach at Wake Forest, been in the TV business recent years, guy that loves basketball. John Pelfrey is on Avery Johnson's staff at Alabama. You see that all the time, all over the place, in college basketball. David Cutcliffe, after he was fired at Ole Miss, he sat out for a year or a year and a half, and then he went back and worked at Tennessee. He regained his offensive coordinator title at Tennessee before he had the opportunity to again become a head coach at Duke, and obviously it's been a really successful move for there. I don't think it's as uncommon as some people want to make it. I think the other part you got to realize, though, is that you hire a guy like Rich Rodriguez, who's been as successful as he has, or Mike McIntyre, who's been successful, those guys probably want to be head coaches again. But their route to becoming a head coach again is to come to a place like Ole Miss and have success. You put together an offense that's really good. You put together a defense that's really good, and maybe those opportunities arise for them in the future and then that's kind of a win-win for everybody sports talk mississippi with you on this thursday afternoon sports talk brought to you every day by mississippi land bank online at mslandbank.com mississippi land bank where they know the lay of the land are you a farmer Do you have equipment needs? Time to buy a new tractor? Maybe it's a a year where you got to get a new combine or a new cotton picker coming up. Or maybe you need to refinance an existing loan. Maybe you're buying a new piece of property. Maybe it's crop loans. All of those things, well, Mississippi Land Bank can help you out if you are in North Mississippi. At Mississippi Land Bank, you'll find branch locations that are close to you. The website is mslandbank.com. Maybe it's uh, in northwest Mississippi, perhaps in Senatobia, maybe you're in the Delta in Clarksdale or Cleveland or Indianola, northeast Mississippi and Corinth or Tupelo, maybe New Albany and north central Mississippi, over on the eastern part of the state, Starkville, Kosciuszko, Louisville, all of those spots, places where you've got Mississippi Land Bank branch locations. If you go to their website and you click on the contact tab, you can uh, email or you can just grab the toll-free phone number, give them a call, talk to them about what it is that you need And let them help. At Mississippi Land Bank, they have been financing land for 100 years. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, coming up in just a few minutes. Brian Haydad will join us. Made it home safely from Tampa. See if he's got any fun travel stories to share uh, along the way as well. Um, Borky, New York Giants. There's going to come a time where Eli Manning... Is no longer the quarterback for the New York Giants. Dave Gettleman is currently the general manager. He had a story yesterday in USA Today from Art Stapleton that shed some interesting light on what Gettleman is thinking. Uh, Gettleman says that he and Eli Manning had a conversation that was extensive and was no holds barred. Um. I think he used the, uh, the the words brutally honest as well in describing it. And he just wouldn't go too far into it. He says, we will do what's in the best interest of the New York Giants. We're trying to build sustained success that takes brutal honesty and some tough decisions. Are the Giants going to continue with Eli Manning Man, for at sure, least another
2: year? It sure sounds like they don't want to, doesn't it? But what are their other options? And that's the big question. Because, I mean, look, I'm, I'm no draft analyst, but it, it sure seems like outside of Dwayne Haskins, who's going to go earlier than what New York has pick-wise, is there anybody that screams Eli Manning replacement in this draft class? And on top of that, I mean, yeah, they've got to replace him whenever they decide to either part ways with him or he retires. They've got a lot more problems on that roster than a quarterback. So picking one just to pick one is also a bad idea in the first round.
3: The offensive line was a little better this year, but it wasn't great. The defense has got work to do. You know, it's interesting when you look at the Giants' schedule this year and you look at the games that they lost. They lost a bunch of close, close games. Like, if you saw, I probably did this half a dozen times this year. I would have, if I wasn't watching a game, I'd have a notification pop up on my phone that said, twenty-seven twenty-four Giants lose. And I would immediately go to the box score, and I would open it up to see if the Giants lost on the final play of the game. If somebody kicked a field goal as time was about to expire, somebody scored a touchdown at the end, and most times the answer was yes. So the Giants go 5-11 and 11 this year. Think about how it happened. In Week 1, they lost by 5 to the Jaguars. In Week 2, they lost by 7 to the Cowboys. They got blown out by New Orleans. They lost by 2 to Carolina. They got blown out by Philadelphia. They lost by three to Atlanta, seven to Washington, four to San Francisco. I'm sorry, no, they beat San Francisco. Uh, they lost by three to Philadelphia. They lost by one to Indianapolis, and they lost by one to Dallas. Eight losses this year for the Giants on a team that went 5-11 and were by a touchdown or less. Does that mean that they're way far off with Eli Manning as quarterback? Or does that mean that's actually a team that's close to being a playoff team? But they got to figure out a way to stop somebody on the final drive of a game. You can't continuously give up seven plays, 60 yards, and a minute 14 to kick
2: a game-winning field goal or to give up a touchdown at the end. Exactly. And... Your first thought would be, well, they're losing close games. Maybe it's a quarterback issue. And without looking at what happened on the final drive of each game, and their final four losses, Eli threw for 300, 229, 300, and 300. So it's not like he's having these atrocious games leading to losses as well. Eli Manning this year completed
3: 66% of his passes for 4,299 yards, 21
2: touchdowns, and 11 interceptions. So then what do you do? I mean, that's the question, right? They're talking as if they want to part ways and, and they need somebody new. But if you're the Giants, what do you do? Because I don't think quarterback of the future is in this draft class. For anybody, maybe Dwayne Haskins in Jacksonville. Sounds like that's where, where he's going to end up. Well, I mean, let, let's just be, let's be
3: real about Eli Manning for a second. Okay, he's 38 years old. He doesn't have that much time left in the league. But in the season in which he was 38 years old, he throws for 4,300 yards and they have eight games that they lose by a touchdown or less. And again, I'll go back to what I said. If you go back and, and I don't have, I, I don't have time this second to pull up every single game and look how they ended. But I would feel comfortable saying to you, as we sit here right now, five of the eight games they lost, the defense allowed the other team to score on the final possession of the game. So they had a lead when they gave the ball back to the other team on the final possession. 5 of 8 times. You take those wins. If you take 4 of those 5
2: and make them wins, they're 9 and 7 and they're in, they're a playoff team and they're in the playoffs. Which still isn't enough, but I mean you've got these guys talking so publicly about the quarterback when that is so clearly not the issue in New York. And even so, what are you going to do? The only thing that I wish the NFL would do more of, NFL teams in general, like when when Drew Brees is done in New Orleans, I don't want them to just go draft the quarterback of the future. I want them to go get somebody, and they may have one on roster right now, even though he's a free agent after this year in Teddy Bridgewater, somebody who's done it before, a proven commodity. I don't like what Oakland did with getting rid of their best edge rusher and getting rid of their best wide receiver to draft an unproven edge rusher and draft an unproven wide receiver. You've got guys like Nick Mullins out there who has shown that he can win games at the NFL level. Sign him. And then build your roster then for the quarterback of the future, but as your stopgap, why not go to somebody who's won cheap and has proven that they can do it? And so you don't have to waste a first-round draft pick to pick a guy that you don't know can actually do it or not, and especially in this class... You especially don't know that there's anybody that can do it. And then go build your roster around, one, the the veteran that you've got, and then the cheap option that's proven that he can do it. Nick Foles is another one.
3: See, I don't don't really agree with you on, on going and getting a quarterback from another team because if a team is willing to let go of their quarterback, that means they don't view him as a franchise quarterback. Right. so
2: But I'm talking when you're go, roster building and, and stuff like I, I, that.
3: I understand that. I understand that. And, and so if this year, I mean, let's be honest for a second. The Giants probably should have drafted Sam Darnold last year. Yeah, probably. They, they probably should have. Now, it's kind of hard to argue with the success that Saquon Barkley had this year. 1,300 yards rushing, he's really, really good and is going to be good for a long time. But what's more important in the NFL? A franchise quarterback or an all-pro running back? A franchise quarterback is better. And if you were looking ahead to this year's draft class, you knew there weren't going to be a ton of options. And if you forecast out another year, eh, you're not entirely sure. Maybe there's some guys that you like there. If the Giants don't draft a quarterback this year, and I'm not sure that you do because I agree with you, I don't think this is a great draft class for quarterbacks, then you've got to position yourself to get somebody next year. Is that Justin Herbert? I don't know. Maybe somebody else. And if you don't have the number one pick or the number two pick or the number three pick, you better be positioning yourselves to be able to put together a package to go get that next guy. But, no, I think Eli Manning's the quarterback next year for the Giants because, hey, you're going to start Davis Webb? You're going to start the Kyle Talia whatever guy? Sports Talk Mississippi, Thursday afternoon, the third day of 2019. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and right now on the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Brian Haydad. Trying to recover from all the sunburn he got while he was in Tampa, Florida. What's up, hey, Dad?
0: You know, I don't burn. My uh, My ethnic background uh, sort of pro- prohibits it. Can, I can handle the sun. And
3: uh, I, just get good,
0: I, get, I get that good tan working.
3: There you go. Did you spend some time uh, laying out by the pool? You told me no yeah. beach, but, I mean, some pool time? I, no, I, I, didn't,
0: I, I didn't do anything aquatic while I was down there.
3: <laughs> I did not. That's, um, I don't know if that's a good decision or a bad decision. Yeah.
0: It's just one of those things where like, you know, you're packing your your bag on December 29th. Putting, you know, a swimsuit, putting your swim trunks in the bag doesn't really occur to me
2: to do that. I'm not used to You say to putting, putting your Speedo trips. in the bag? Is that what you said? I
0: don't have a Speedo. No god almighty.
2: <laughs> My wife almost bought me one for the honeymoon and I would have rocked the heck out of that thing. <laughs> Did, Did she have really? A great-
0: I have a great story about a Speedo that we'll tell some other day, but it's it's really funny. It's not mine. Uh,
2: it no, out. actually, actually
3: today is as good a day <laughs> as any for a Speedo story if you've got one.
0: So I'm in Vegas a few years ago at the MGM Grand, and they have a lazy river going around all their pools, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, after a couple of hard nights of, of drinking and gambling, we're, we're just in the lazy river just trying to recuperate. And as we're going around the bend and one of them, one of my buddies just starts laughing to the point where he's crying. And I'm like, what are you looking at? And he just points. And there's this dude who, I mean, he must have been from Sweden or something. He's clearly European doing the captain Morgan thing with the leg hiked up in an orange speedo. <laughs> I mean, he's just out there, man. He's letting everybody see. And we went around that laser for about five times. And every time around that bend, we would all start laughing. Cause there he was just, Leg hiked up in the air with his orange speedo on.
3: Sounds like did my you, interact? Hero. Did, did you interact. Did you interact Captain with Captain Morton? No,
0: <laughs> beyond a point and laugh. No, we did not speak to him.
3: What was he doing this primarily for? A reaction.
0: I have man, I have no idea. The guy didn't move. It was like he was a statue.
3: <laughs> so Borky, why is it that you would have rocked a speedo if your wife had gotten it for you, but you didn't go buy one on your own?
2: I should have bought one on my own, because I would have. I've got no shame, man. If, if somebody wants to look at me and judge me for wearing a Speedo, that's a, that's a them problem. If, I, if I'm sitting on a beach and it's 80 degrees, and I want to be covered as little as possible, I can do that. <laughs> oh, my God.
0: Uh, I wish I was good at Photoshop.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, if I ever go on vacation again, which, based on the price tag of the last one, I don't know if that's likely... Um, I'll do that and you won't need Photoshop. <laughs> Yay. And then
3: you'll put the pictures out there
0: yourself as well. Yeah, sure. Convince uh. your wife to go to cold weather destinations.
2: <laughs> hey, hell. I think we've got a ski trip on the schedule next time. 601 879
3: 4395, the C Spire text line. Also on Twitter at Sports Talk M I S S. Should Michael Borky wear a Speedo? Maybe that should be. We've gotten away from the poll questions lately. Maybe we should uh, let that Bring be the first back poll yet. question of 2019. Should Michael Borky
2: buy and wear a speedo? I'll tell you what. If we if there is some kind of bet that we can make while it's still cold, I'll do like a, a polar plunge in a speedo or something on video. Now that's exciting to think about. Uh,
3: I'll let you buy a speedo and do a polar plunge instead of uh, instead of having to.
2: Buy me a steak dinner. Yeah, that's not good enough, though. I'm okay, I'm looking forward to the there. steak dinner, so I don't want to get rid of that. I, no, if you ever want to put something on the line, if you can match that kind of punishment, then I'm in. Okay. A um, couple of
3: days to uh, to digest now the Outback Bowl. Hey, Dad, and I'm kind of curious if if you've got any overarching thoughts with a little bit more time.
0: The thing that that's, I've thought about the most over the past few days, about, and it's more about Mississippi State season than the bowl itself, is how uncompetitive MSU was in losses this year. Um, you know, They scored 22 points on, uh, I guess it's Tuesday. You know, my days are all mixed up here. Um, but that's the most points they scored in a loss all season. They only scored 39 points total in their five losses. Um, saw a tweet yesterday from one of the other MSU beat writers, Tyler Horka, who said that in, in terms of offensive production, MSU only averaged 230 yards of offense a game in their five losses, which spread out over the course of a season, if that had been the case, would have been good for dead last in, in all of NCAA FBS. Mm. And I, I, when you consider how good State was in their wins, you think you know, think about State's wins. They were moving the ball up and down the field and scoring a, you know, 30, 40, 50 points. It's it's crazy how Jekyll and Hyde this team was against better defenses. You know, you look at the, the defenses they lost against, all ranked in the top thirty nationally. State completely ineffective against those defenses, and I, I don't know why. Because I, I can understand you know not being as good, but to be as bad as they were, to be that ineffective, so, something was broken. In those games, and I, and I don't, I don't. That's that's the thing that I I, I have the biggest question about going into the offseason is how does state fix that? How does how do they get better against good teams next year?
3: Okay, so you'll have to forgive me for uh, for asking a question that you said you just don't know the answer to. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, why why is that? There was there was talent at least in the running game. I mean, is this is it simply a function? of the passing game being so, uh, they're being, I don't know, inept. I don't know if that's the right word to use or not, but I'll just use that word. That teams that were good defensively were able to key in on the running game and stop that, and then Mississippi State just couldn't take advantage of anything through the air? I mean, is it that simple?
0: Basically, Basically, although State, you know, was able to run the ball at times against LSU, was able to run the ball at times against Iowa. Um, but in those games, where, you know, obviously Nick Fitzgerald was at his worst in, in those, in those uh, five losses. Those were, his, those were the games this year where he, he really struggled. And, and it, was, it was a systemic, though. It was the offensive line struggled in those games. You know, you, you watched those games against Kentucky and, and Florida, and, and State got pushed around and gave up a lot of sacks and gave up a lot of pressure. Same with LSU. Um, same with Alabama, same against Iowa. Um, receivers just ineffective, dropping passes and, and not being able to get open. It, it, from the top down, you know, the play calling in those games was was, was suspect as well. I mean, I want to say you think about the LSU game where you had a chance at the one-yard line, first and goal at the one, you couldn't get it in. Had a chance against Iowa, first and goal at the one, couldn't get it in. Um, you think about the Florida game and just your inability to do anything. So. It wasn't just one thing. It, it, that, that's something that's going to require a lot of of, of attention to detail this offseason from Joe Moorhead and his staff. They've got to figure out how to because those teams don't go away. You play LSU and Alabama every year. You're going to play Kentucky every year. Now we all think Kentucky's going to take a step back. You know, losing some of the players they do, but Mark Stoops is still a pretty good coach, and he, you know, I don't think they're going to be they're going to go back to the old three and nine Kentucky or anything like that. You're going to no. play tough SEC teams. You're going to have to figure out a way to, to not only, you know, be competitive in those games, but win some of those games eventually. And State, was, State didn't have a loss this year. I mean, I know the, 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 the Florida game was only 13-6. to six, only, You only lose by seven points. But State was never really in that game. I mean, they led, but they could never get anything going offensively. And you, you always felt that if Florida got a touchdown on the board, it was going to be tough to come back. And, and it was.
3: What was Mississippi State's best win this year?
0: Texas A&M, Texas A&M was their best win because they played well defensively, which is you obviously expect. But they were able to run the football, and they were able. That was the best game passing maybe for Nick Fitzgerald. He really threw the ball well in that game, and that was maybe the most complete win uh, for Mississippi State. Even though it was only you know 20, 13, they have obviously some wins by larger margins. But that was the best win against an A&M team that finished the season pretty strong. Uh, you know, normally you think about A&M in November. That's when they were yeah. swooning. A&M sort of built itself back up from that loss. Uh, so I, th- I th- that's what I would put as number one. Because against Auburn, you were really one-dimensional. You couldn't get much going in the passing game, whereas against AM, and you, you had both sides of the ball working.
3: Um, Nick Fitzgerald against Texas AM threw for 241 yards. I don't guess that it really dawned on me kind of going through. There was not a single game this year where Nick Fitzgerald threw for more than 250 yards. Yeah, not one.
0: Yeah, and, and the
3: you, the only 300 yard passing game of the entire season was Keeton, Keeton Thompson in the season opener against Stephen F. Austin, threw for 364. Fitzgerald threw for 243 twice, once against Louisiana Lafayette, once against Louisiana Tech. Yeah, it's the closest he got to 250
0: all year. Yeah, Phew. that's 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 bold. That's a bold you know number there. Not be able to get that one time. I was I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, you're right.
3: All right. Coming up next, there was a question, a poll question from the Thunder and Lightning podcast earlier today. Assign a grade to Joe Moorhead in season number one as head coach at Mississippi State. We'll talk about that next and take a look at what's coming up next for the Bulldogs in the Renaissance Bank studio. Hey, Borky, just a heads up. Your boy Cameron Champ even threw 12. He's five shots back in the opening round of the Tournament of Champions at Kapalua.
2: He, he birdied the opener. Oh. Well, that's a good start. Yeah. Good start. I'm, <laughs> I'm telling uh, you, Richard, he will compete in a major this year. I, I'm not arguing with you. I know you're a big fan. Hits it a, a country mile. And can score, too. I, it just, anyway, I know we're not here to talk golf today, but, man, I... Just thoroughly impressed with that kid.
3: Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Got some good news for you as it pertains to podcasts. You uh, you know that you can uh, you can get the best of podcast every day. It's a condensed version of Sports Talk Mississippi. Uh, you can also uh, catch Steve Azar's podcast of in a Mississippi minute, and of course, the Thunder and Lightning podcast with Brian Haydad and Joel Coleman. Uh comes your way just about every day, and it's now available on Spotify. Spotify is now the number two platform on the planet for podcasts, and you can get it there. So if you've got a Spotify account, you listen to tons of music on Spotify, you can now get those podcasts from uh, Sports Talk Mississippi and Thunder and Lightning at
0: Spotify. That's good news, right, Brian? Hey, man, the the more platforms, the better. I think more are coming in the uh, the near future. There you go. Uh, so let's
3: give out some grades. You uh, you threw this out earlier today as a poll question for Thunder and Lightning. Give Joe Moorhead a grade in year number one. What did the people say, and what is your grade?
0: People said C. Fifty five percent of uh, nearly seventeen hundred votes uh, went C. D okay. was the second most popular one as well. Twenty seven percent. Wait, B
3: is in boy D. or D is in dog?
0: D is in dog. Oh, uh, B as in boy got twelve percent. F got six percent. I did not allow an A. There's there no way I could anybody could look at that season and tell me that that was an A. So uh, yeah, C is 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 what the the people voted. <sighs> I might be closer. Well, well to hold B, on a to second. Totally H-
3: H- hold on, just a second. Hold on a second. Yeah, the second most common vote was for a D as in dog. Yeah. In a season where Mississippi State won eight games, yeah, and on the historic spectrum, that puts you well to the left, right?
0: Well, I mean, I guess what uh, coaches always talk about about raising expectations has finally happened at Mississippi State. Mississippi State fans bought in, and we talked about this. You know, we talked about this before the season started. We said this is the year where MSU, if they don't, they don't exceed their preseason expectations, it's going to be tough to get people to buy in ever again. Well, the state didn't reach those, those expectations, and people are disappointed, and they have yeah. every right to be because this team lost at least two games and probably three to teams that, it, at the end of the day, it's more talented than uh, you know. The Kentucky game, obviously, it's tough to win on the road, but I still think MSU was the more talented team. Uh, the Florida game, it, it, that, that that loss is inexcusable. It's just it's an inexcusable loss. I don't care that Florida went to the the Peach Bowl and won ten games this year, Mississippi State. Was better than Florida this year. They were more talented. And then the Iowa game. Iowa, Mississippi State is a more talented team than Iowa. But in all of those games, the and this is why I think it's about grading Moorhead. It's the offense did not show up to any of those games. They couldn't do anything offensively in those games, and that's why there's so much, you know, disappointment surrounding Joe Moorhead in particular uh, this season. So what's your grade? It's probably a C, but you could talk me into a D.
3: Hmm.
0: I mean, this is a team that I thought you know, was easily going to win nine, ten games. And if things fell right, they could have been in, in a New Year's Six Bowl. And they, they weren't. And, and it, the, the thing that's the, the, the hardest pill to swallow, like I said in the first segment, is how uncompetitive MSU was in their losses. They just – they didn't look like they belonged on the field with those teams at times. Uh, You know, the way that – I mean, you look at that LSU game and how poorly they played, how against Alabama they they never really got anything going. And against Iowa, a team that I know they were more talented than, but they just – they were so bad offensively. The game plan was so bad that it ended up in – you know and the the execution of of things was so bad that you end up where you are
3: yeah and and I'll give you the whole more talented thing. uh you know, you were kind of looking at at the losses, you know, okay, more talented than Iowa, more talented than Kentucky. I don't think I disagree with you maybe on being more talented than Kentucky, but it's hard for me to go, well, you should have won that game when you look at the score. I mean, right, but that one I would look at: It's a, in terms a of, three
0: touchdown game. No, no doubt, but it was 14 to seven with eight minutes to go. And then State's offense turns the ball over twice in the final eight minutes. And Kentucky, on the short field, makes them pay. Um, You know, the defense did everything they could to keep that game close. But the bottom line is it should never have come to that because State could not get anything going offensively in that game. They couldn't run and they couldn't pass. Their offensive line was getting pushed around. They had 16 penalties in that game for 140 yards. So, I mean – I know that the score doesn't – it's one of those games I'm not going to that's why I don't want to say they should have won. But I will say they were more talented. And if they had executed things properly and the game plan had been up to snuff, they probably would have won that game.
3: Yeah. Well, and, and I don't want this to sound like I'm arguing with you because I'm not. And we're just talking opinion anyway. I would say that, yes, Mississippi State as a whole is more talented than Kentucky. But Kentucky's defense, I think, was more talented than Mississippi State's offense. See, I think it's Mississippi State's it's defense and the talent level overall that they had that kind of tips Mississippi State as a team in favor and in balance. Um, I, I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe well, I'm overbuying Kentucky's defense this year. But when you have I, I Kentucky, just can't get you know, past Josh Allen and how good he was.
0: That that that's the thing with when, when that when that matchup's on the field when it's offense versus defense, State versus Kentucky the best player on the field plays for Kentucky and Josh Allen. There's no question about that. But all in all MSU, I mean go back and watch the game and and watch how how poor a job state did of game planning for Josh Allen. They just left Greg Island out there on a no, no pun intended an <laughs> yeah. island to, yeah. to, to deal with him. They didn't do anything to to you know to bring a tight end over or running back to chip him. They just said good luck. Um they, they just That's like, a bad plan they, by the way. It, that, that, it, you see the results. Um, and they, they couldn't get anything going in the passing game. You couldn't get anything going in the passing I'm game. I'm sorry.
2: What?
3: I'm not laughing at you. Ceasefire text line 601 879 Jamie from Oxford sends us a text that says, oh, True Maroon. <laughs> it is, uh, that is Ryan Haydad's head that there. That is photoshopped.
0: Oh, a dude, and a Speedo. We, we I am about to tweet you. that immediately. Oh, that is not safe for work.
3: Jeez. Oh, I'm sorry. What were you saying? Hey, Dad.
0: I don't even remember. The state wasn't good. <laughs> Morehead needs to improve. Yeah. Good Lord. Uh,
3: Who is that do, and actually
0: you, a picture of? I wonder.
3: Uh, do, do you have the text line pulled up now?
0: Yes. Yeah, oh yeah.
3: In all its glory, right?
0: Woo. Yeah. <laughs> I should I'm going to tweet an apology real quick. Hold on.
3: In, in advance. Yeah, of, of this apologize actually going, apologize for what, apologize for what you're going to see when Richard has time to crop this And all right, Morky I'll let you handle that you you can tweet that from the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed Brian Haydad back home from his vacation in Tampa
0: oh, all right, my, my apology beautiful. tweet is out there so you do what you gotta do that Goodness. is
3: absolutely beautiful um
0: <laughs> You have a strange definition of beautiful. I want that above my mantle pe- my mantle place. I want that painted on velvet.
3: Oh yeah. Yeah. So is that a complimentary text message or no?
0: You know, I gotta be honest with you, I think this guy is a is a little thinner than me. So yeah, well, let's go with that. Yeah.
3: There you go. Um
0: <laughs> he's obviously very confident. <laughs>
3: completely sorry. I just completely lost. That track, was really. I was tra-
2: like, hey, is is this a, I mean, are, are is we so going to get banned on Twitter here? for putting this out there?"
3: No, like, this doesn't break any of the rules, does it? No, look, I mean the the.
0: Uh... It breaks some rules of decency.
3: <laughs> who was the Florida coach who got fired last year? Why can't I not come up with his McElwain? name? McIlwain. Jim McIlwain making love to a shark didn't get uh, didn't get people kicked off Twitter. Oh. Sorry, I probably oh shouldn't have phrased it quite that way. <laughs> um, when, when when we come back,
0: if if we come back,
3: the the question on the table is what should the expectation in year two be for Joe Moorhead? Oh, we got because,
0: just send another image. Oh, there's the, the original. So. The, I
3: mean, I don't know the who that dude the is. roster, the roster that Joe Moorhead will have next year will not be as talented as the roster that he had this year. True statement? Very true. Okay. So with that said, if the talent level on the roster dictated the expectations for year one and as a result dictated the grades, what are we going to do in year two? We'll go there next. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm in the Renaissance Bank studio. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at... Supertalk.fm
0: The show will never be the same again
3: Oh, some of these responses If you're not following Sports Talk Mississippi on Twitter Sports Talk M-I-S-S I think you should I love Hayes' response My eyes can't unsee what I just saw Is that your wife's new phone background?
0: Oh, God Huh. so sports, huh? Some of, some of
3: the gifts that are coming along <laughs> are fantastic. In, in uh, response, I are, are really really good. The one where they're pouring milk into the guy's eyes. <laughs> yeah. Um, glad to be with you this afternoon. So,
2: are you? Yeah, are, are you sure?
3: Absolutely. Are you sure about that? Absolutely. Um, by the way, Southern Miss gets a, uh, a win in basketball this afternoon,
2: 73-65 over Rice. That's actually the opposite of what happened.
3: Strong finish. but I'm sorry, I completely read that wrong.
0: It's almost like you had just seen something earlier that has your head spinning, and now you can't function.
3: Yeah, tough loss for Southern Miss basketball, losing 73-65 on the road at Rice this afternoon. Um, okay, so the idea is the roster for Mississippi State this year was extremely talented. And that led to huge expectations in year one for Joe Moorhead. What about expectations for year two? when the roster is going to be less talented. It's not going to be bereft of talent, but you lose Jeffrey Simmons, you lose Montez Sweat, you lose Jonathan Abram, you lose Aries Williams, you lose Nick Fitzgerald. So, what are your two expectations?
0: You know... When we've been looking to 2019 for the past couple of years, I think it's even if Mullen had stayed, I think we were talking about that being a transition year because you were losing those guys defensively. You were going to lose Fitzgerald, lose a couple guys off the offensive line in Jenkins and Calhoun, lose Eris Williams. So you know you didn't know that Eris Williams was going to become such a small piece of the offense in 2018. You thought he was going to be the lead the lead horse and you know be the guy who rushed for a thousand yards again. So I think expectations for 2019 have already sort of been tempered and people thought wow if that's a year where you you might step back to a 6 and 6 or a 7 and 5 but now it's imperative for Moorhead to he can't go worse than that if he if he's 6 and 6 and 7 and 5 next year in the regular season that that he'll be okay he'll be okay but a losing season and people are going to are start dropping off this this uh this thing like like off the Titanic i mean it's it's going to be bad so he's got to find a way in year to meet what are already going to be lowered expectations. You know, he needs to be where MSU fans have been saying for the past couple years you were going to be. Because we I think, by and large, MSU knew that 2019 was going to be a transition year. So you just got to hold on to that, and you can't turn it into a huge step-back year at 5-7, and 4-8, and eight, something like that.
3: See, I hear what you're saying. I just don't believe you. No, 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 that's not right. That's not right. It's not that I don't believe you. I don't believe that Mississippi State fans will react with any measure of, oh, yeah, but we knew this was going to be a transition year. Six and six next year, and people will have pitchforks and torches.
0: Well, it'll it'll be... It'll turn into year three has to be a big turnaround year. I'll give you that much, but I think it's with losing what you've lost. And if you're not sure about Keton, if you go six and six next year, I think I'm not saying people are going to be jumping up in the aisles or anything about it, but there'll be a level of acceptance because I think even with Mullen, there was going to be a level of acceptance that this was going to be, you know, we, we the group of people I talk to that I'm closest with about Mississippi State. We talk about state working in five year cycles, where three of the five years should be between eight, should be eight win and maybe nine win seasons, and then you have your year where you jump up to a ten win season, and you know if if things go really well, you could get to eleven, and then you're going to have a year where you jump back. Uh, you know, 2013 was that year for Mississippi State, and they followed up with a 10 win year and then a nine win year. You drop back in 16, but I think in retrospect we can all sort of pin that on one person, and then not so much the team. You were had, you had nine wins last year. You had eight wins this year. I think next year is the step back year, and then you're hoping to build a 2020 to be another big year. This was supposed to be the big year, and that would have given Moorhead a little more leeway to go six and six or seven and five in year two. Had he you know accomplished that goal? But yeah. I, but I think I think it's going to be okay. But there there will definitely be pressure on him for year three to deliver a nine plus win season.
3: Yeah, and it's a schedule that. That screams minimum six wins. With, with the non conference slate? It, it should, yeah. Should be 4 um, 0
0: in the non conference. Should be able to beat Kentucky at home. Should be able to beat Ole Miss, maybe even Arkansas. So maybe seven right there.
3: Should. We'll see. Should, yeah. Thanks, hey, Dad. Sports Talk, Mississippi, Renaissance Mike, Studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Tell you a little bit more about them coming up. Right now, you can know that if you go to mslandbank.com, you can find, find branch locations and contact, informations, uh, I'm sorry, contact information from the folks at Mississippi Land Bank with locations across North Mississippi. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. You can check out favorites.com and go with the home team. My guess is there is a little bit of buzz in Houston, Texas, surrounding the Texans. John Harris, what's up? What's
1: going on, Richard? How you doing, my man? Happy New Year to everybody. And, yeah, there's a little bit of buzz here. It's interesting, though. It's it's, – how do I say this? It's been growing, but amongst – kind of the media types and the radio talk show hosts and people of your ilk, it's, uh, well, we wait and see. It's the Colts. You know, the Colts beat the Texans last time. So, you know, I think the Colts will do it again. I, there's, there's kind of a, a negative attitude here, which I find a little bit uh, puzzling in some sense, but that's the way people kind of feel here in Houston, um, that the Colts are going to come in here and T.Y. Hilton's going to have another ball game and uh, the Colts are going to walk out of here with a W. So I'm all for uh, proving people wrong on Saturday. So hopefully that happens.
3: Okay, if that happens, uh, let, let's do this in both directions. If the Colts come in and T.Y. Hilton has a game, you know, whatever, wh- why did it happen? What? Why did the Colts, if, if we were talking a week from now and the Colts did get it done, what was the reason why?
1: Well, I, I mean, I think, first of all, T.Y. Hilton, I, I think if if we have one struggle defensively. It's that we don't have anybody secondary that can just lock somebody down. And and look, I think the the, the lockdown corner is sort of a, a misnomer now in the NFL. I mean corners even in Dion Sanders day and Dion was not quite like this. I mean Dion was special. But you know corners in those days could get away with a lot more. They could they could clutch and grab and do a little bit more The rules don't allow guys to do that anymore. But still, you know, there's no Jalen Ramsey over there, and that's why the the Jags had such success against the Colts, because Jalen Ramsey can go lock up T.Y. Hilton wherever Hilton lined up on the field. And and the Jags had a pass rush that got there, and and they held the the Colts for no points because of that. So I think that's what we lack. And I think with Andrew Luck, what he has done in this offense is – He's adapted to it very, very well. And what he has been given is an offensive line, which he hasn't had. Braden Smith out of Auburn, everybody knows in the SEC. they got Quentin Nelson out of Notre Dame, who is the best young guard maybe we've seen in quite some time. And they put those two guys uh, alongside Ryan Kelly. And they have become maybe the best offensive line, at least in the AFC, maybe at the NFL, uh, with those two additions. So, They've protected Andrew Luck. This offense is tailor-made for him. He's gained the ball out faster. He's got weapons all over the field in Hilton. Eric Ebron, who's resurrected his career there in Indianapolis. And they just kind of pick at you. There's a lot of different ways they can hurt you. And if you don't have somebody in the secondary that can just go run with T.Y. or prevent T.Y. from having big plays, then you're going to have a hard time stopping them. And I think that's where the Colts could beat us on Saturday with that sort of recipe. Hilton going deep, making big plays. We played him seven times in Houston. Seven times at in, in Indianapolis too, but seven times in Houston. He's registered fifteen plays of thirty yards or more. Ooh. So yeah, it's pretty it's pretty ugly. Um to a point where he was talking this week about it being his second home. So uh, there's there's some fighting words I know amongst the guys in the secondary and our guys are the secondary SEC guys, so they've got, they got a chip on their shoulder about that, so they're looking forward to Saturday. But it's going to have to be a team effort against him. There's no one guy in our secondary that can stop Hilton, so it's got to be a team effort, and if they can team up and get it done and prevent some of those big plays, and I think with our offense, we'll eventually score put some points on the board and have a chance to win this game.
3: T.Y. Hilton, 115 yards receiving in the first meeting with Houston this season. Luck threw for 464 in that game. We'll circle back to that meeting in just a second, but let's play the other side of this coin first. If Houston wins this game, and we're talking a week from now, what's the reason why? Why did the Texans get it done?
1: Well, number one, playoff lock, playoff clowny, and playoff merciless all showed up. Because if those three guys show up to play and they're able to provide some pressure, even against a good offensive line, then Andrew's gonna, he's gonna throw a mistake at some point. And that's, that's the key. In the first game, knocked it out of his hands, got a strip sack fumble, scored the next play. That was huge. They botched a snap, recovered Clowney, recovered it for a touchdown. That was huge. So they've got to create some big plays and some turnovers. We did get a turnover from them in the second game. But we weren't able to do anything with it. So I think if those three guys show up, make Andrew he'll throw him a mistake. It'll happen if you get some pressure on him. But the other aspect of it is we should have our fastest and quickest guys in this game. And we played him a second time. We had Joe Webb, who I love, but he's not a slot receiver, but we had to play him with injuries. Demarius Thomas, as much as I love Demarius, he's not a slot receiver. We had no twitch out on the field. We could have DeAndre Carter and we will have De'Andre Carter. We should have Kiki QT, who caught 11 passes in the first meeting against them his first game as a rookie. The first time he ever played an NFL game, he caught 11 passes against the Colts. That's a lot of twitch. That's a lot of explosiveness. And then we've got a young man by the name of Vincent Smith, who played at Limestone College, runs in the 4-3 range, and made a huge play against Philadelphia as a rookie. We're very young. We're very inexperienced. But those guys can all make plays out on a field. And that's something I think this entire offense has lacked for a few weeks. When Demarius went down against Philadelphia, then you start, to, you start to see it sort of blossom a little bit like, whoa, we got some speed on the field. That's going to help us. If we win this game, I think we're going to have to score in the 30s, but we can We can do that pretty easily, but we got to hit on some big plays, and I think we'll be able to do that with some of the speed and explosiveness we'll have on the field on Saturday.
3: Did you say Limestone College?
1: I did. I did. Yeah, they, he... He was at Limestone, and last year, of course, Limestone doesn't have a pro day, which is not surprising. (laughs) So he decided, so they had him run. They had him run at South Carolina's pro day. And, of course, I was tracking it just to see, you know, what some of the guys in South Carolina did. And about an hour or two after it was over, on Twitter, there's this kind of grainy picture from kind of up above. And it's Vincent, and you can make out the other figures, Bill Belichick. And after the workout, Belichick wanted to talk to him. And from that point forward, Vincent was one of the hottest things on, on draft Twitter. Everybody was talking about where he was gonna go. And then he decided to come to Houston, sign in Houston, and had a great training camp, had to start because Will Fuller was was not ready and, and you can tell Vincent wasn't ready. And so he's really kind of worked at it, worked at it. He finally got a chance against Philadelphia, caught the go ahead touchdown in the fourth quarter, and then made some big plays last week for us. So he's going to be big. But, yeah, he's from Limestone. So we're starting guys from Limestone and also Sacramento State, along with DeAndre Hopkins and potentially Q T. So we've got a very eclectic pass-catching group for sure.
3: There you go. Hey, Borky, trivia question for you. Do you know where Limestone College is? I know it's near about where I
2: grew up, but if I could tell you a city, I'd be lying. Gaffney, Gaffney. South Carolina, the big peach.
3: I know that because of – the, House of the, Cards, the show on Netflix. House yeah. of
2: Cards, and that peach really is cards. there.
3: Yeah, there, there you go. Um, John Harris on your radio, Jay Harris football on Twitter. So I said I wanted to rewind to the matchup from from earlier this year. There have been a lot of people, even some Colts, that have said the turning point in the season was when you know they they had the the crazy play where they went for it, went for the win, and and didn't get it. But that showed that Frank Reich believed in this team. Only problem with that narrative is they lost the next two games after that. Is that just a convenient line to throw out, or is there something to that? That, that a football team, when it realizes that its head coach really believes in them, believes and is going to give them a chance to make winning plays, that that, that can carry forward.
1: Uh, I think I think there's some half truth to that. Uh, you know, the thing about it was they talked about after the game that, yeah, you know, Frank believes us, and, you know, that's great. Frank believes The next The next week, they actually had a short week. They went to New England with nobody healthy. I actually think it was the New England game where they all looked at each other and said, hey, we can play. They had nobody. Richard, they had nobody in that game. They were so banged up. It was the longest injury report I've ever seen. When they went to New England, they had to travel to New England, which is hard enough to get to and play on a Thursday night. And they battled, and they stayed in that game. But I, I was watching at home going, wow, these guys are they, they're tough, man. And, of course, I'm looking at it saying, well, hey, maybe our win is a little bit better than people thought it was. See what they're doing against New England. Even though they lost to New England, I felt like it was that night where they went, hey, we're, we're not bad. But the loss to the Jets was kind of a head scratcher. Like, what's going on here? And then the next week, they faced Derek Anderson with Buffalo. And then it was just they, they started motoring. Offensively, they got it going. Uh, defensively, they started finding themselves. Darius Leonard uh, from South Carolina State is just phenomenal. So I think it was that New England game where they went, hey, wait a second, we're pretty good. They just had to start winning games. And, of course, they won nine of the last 10, including beating us. And the only loss they had was down in Jacksonville, losing six and up.
3: Yep. We've we'll got more coming up with John Harris. We're going to take a quick timeout. We'll take a look at uh, some guys in the draft that the Texans and other teams may be looking at. And uh, i curious to see where John ranks Andrew Luck among quarterbacks in the NFL. That's when we come back in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. John Harris on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. So I teased this before the break. John, I'm curious. You get to see almost every quarterback in the NFL on a yearly basis. Not every, but over the course of a few years, you see just about everybody. Andrew Luck has remained healthy. He had not been healthy for the previous couple of years. A healthy Andrew Luck, where does he rank in your mind among quarterbacks in the SEC? Excuse me, I'm sorry, in the NFL.
1: Well, I think he would be probably be number two in the SEC behind Tua. Um, he <laughs> was pretty darn good. Fair uh, enough. <laughs> um You know, I'd I, I take my guy out of discussion because, you know, I, I'll take I'll take D4 any day, all day. Um, I've seen him do some miraculous things on the field, and I see him do that, you know, every single week of the year. So I'll take him out of discussion. I think Patrick Mahomes, Breeze. Andrew Luck. Right now, those are the three. I mean, I, I think what I saw from Luck in the second half of the first game and for basically the full game in the second game, that's Andrew Luck better than I've ever seen him. Ever. I, I've, never seen, I've never seen him better. I've seen him rattle before. I've seen him hold the ball way too long before. I've seen him misread. Richard, he's as locked in this year as I've ever seen him. He's stronger. The arm strength is there. I felt like going into the first game, which is week four, watching him the three previous weeks, he wasn't pushing the ball down the field. And then all of a sudden against us, it was just – it was almost as if he said, bleep it. I just got to go. And then they went up-tempo because they were down by 18. We were up 28-10, to 10, and they went up-tempo for the rest of the game, and he, he was dealing. And I'm like, wow. And – in the second half, he didn't have T.Y. Hilton for a decent majority of that game. So he's throwing to guys like Zach Pascal and Ryan Grant. That's who he's throwing the ball to. And he's 400-plus yards. And, I mean, we're looking around going, my God, what is happening? And he did that the rest of the year. So it wasn't just us. He did it to everybody. I think Mahomes, breathes luck. And you can stop there. I'll face Rivers. I'll face Roethlisberger. I'll even face Brady. In comparison to what I saw from Luck this year, I hope at some point it falls off because we face them twice a year. But my goodness, he's been phenomenal, and and it makes me nervous on Saturday. He's coming back home, and he played his high school ball here in Houston. He loves to play in Houston. Uh, he's only lost once since 20 since he's been in the league. He only lost once. That was 2016 here in Houston. So. Uh, it, you know, it's obviously a battle. I'm, that's where I would put him. I would say Mah- Mahomes, Breeze, in whatever order, you know, look, Goff, good. Very good. I'll face him. Wentz, we didn't get a chance to see him. I'll face him, too. I don't want to see T-12. Unfortunately, we got to see him on Saturday. Andrew Luck yeah. has been phenomenal this year. He's very scary.
3: You can follow John on Twitter at JHarrisFootball. Uh, interesting comments from uh the GM of the Giants, Gettleman earlier this week about Eli Manning and and his future and the fact that, you know, he wasn't making any guarantees and they've got to do what's best and they had a brutally on a uh, uh, brutally honest conversation. What do you expect the Giants to do with Eli Manning, especially given what's in this draft class as far as quarterbacks go? Well,
1: I think there's two things to consider. And you, and you mentioned one of Richard, that's draft class. The other one is free agency. And, and, look, we did that two years ago with Brock Osweiler, and that was a colossal failure. Now, you can look around the league and see what free agents, You know, Kirk Cousins. I think a lot of people would say that was a failure considering <coughs> what you had to pay him up in Minnesota. So you could go the free agent route. You could maybe even go the trade route. You could trade for Teddy Bridgewater uh, if you wanted to. Um, you could sign Nick Foles. I got a feeling Philadelphia, can't, they can't afford to keep West and Foles. I think Foles is like $20 million next year. They can't afford to do that. And Foles was tremendous against us two weeks ago. So there are some ways you can go. But in all honesty, I don't know that that does any good for you. The, the, the flip side of this is the, the draft. You know, if Justin Herbert comes out. Then you've got Justin Herbert and you've got Dwayne Haskins and, and you know, potentially Drew Locke in the first. Then maybe it makes sense to say, hey, we're going to draft one of those guys it's for a year behind Eli, learns what he's got to do, If things go off the grid just completely horribly. Hey, we can put that rookie uh, right in the mix. But I think when Herbert went back, you've got some quarterback-needy teams that are going to be drafting in front of New York. Not a ton, but just enough that they may not be able to get their hands on Dwayne Haskins and I don't know that Dwayne Haskins is the kind of guy that I, you know that I would say yes he's definitively the guy the Giants needed a quarterback and, uh, and if you think the Giants needed a quarterback then last year was the year to do it that right. was the year you had that's what you needed to do because you had your chance maybe you didn't have Baker but you had Josh Allen you had Lamar Jackson you had Sam Darnold who went third the and now you gotta watch that guy across the across the you know, practice field, basically, with the Jets, doing what he's doing. He's going to be a really good quarterback. We saw him a few weeks ago. So, you know, you had your shot at all those guys, even Josh Rosen. And, look, you want know, Saquon Barkley, and I think Saquon's one of the best young running backs. He's a freakazoid. Seeing him up close and personal, like, whoa. But when you have an opportunity to get a top-notch franchise quarterback, you got to do it, even if at that point that would have said, "Look, Eli, we're gonna we're keeping you here, but we got to keep this. Room. We got to go get a rookie. We got to do it. You've got to look out for your short term and long term prospects in the NFL. That's one thing we didn't do in Houston, and we finally did with Deshaun Watson going up and getting Deshaun and bringing him here for the first time in a long time. We're not looking at quarterbacks in the draft. It's kind of weird, and it's a good feeling. But when you don't have that guy." Then you're looking for him in all different kinds of places, and unfortunately you're not going to find that guy. I think what would always behoove the New York Giants to keep Eli, do what they can to get a rookie, let that rookie shit for a year behind Eli, let Eli see what he can do, and then bring the rookie in the following year. Kind of like the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes. I think that's worked out wonderfully for them because Alex Smith won a division title. They hand it over to Mahomes. He gets them to the number one seed in the AFC. I think that's the model that probably needs to be followed in New York Draft a rookie, get a guy you believe in, and hand the reins over to him in 2020.
3: John Harris is the sideline reporter for the Houston Texans. Writes at HoustonTexans.com. You can hear him on the radio in the Houston area as well. Does some TV stuff, too. He is plugged in on the uh, on the football front. Got about three minutes left, John. The, the The state of Mississippi, but in particular Mississippi State, has been good to the Texans in recent years. You look at this year's draft, you've got probably five, maybe six first-rounders combined between Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Greg Little at Ole Miss, D.K. Metcalf, maybe A.J. Brown. And then at Mississippi State, Jonathan Abrams kind of climbing up draft boards or seems to be, in addition, of course, to Jeffrey Simmons and Montez Sweat. If you could pick one of those guys for the Texans, or maybe maybe let's go crazy, and you had two first-round draft picks and they had to come from those six guys, where would you go?
1: Well, I think Greg Little is the guy for me. And it just, you know, they tell you don't draft, you know, you don't draft for need, you draft the best available player. Well, you got to draft the best available player at a position of need. And the Texans' tackles have improved throughout the year, but they still need some help. And the other position they need probably before a tackle, and this is why I don't think they'll draft Greg, is they need a corner. And we talked about that in the, the previous segment. They've got to have something that can cover, and I think this is a draft where there's some longer, rangier, athletic corners that'll be able to cover guys like Ty Hilton. That'll be able to go toe to toe with a guy like Corey Davis in Nashville. Uh, that'll be able to, you know, cover some of the Patriots' receivers. So they've got to draft the corner, and maybe, and they've got two second-round picks, so maybe they're angling to move up. You know, maybe they look at a guy like Greedy Williams, uh, yeah. a guy that just, you know, throws a blanket over people. But I think. For the Texans, Greg Little would make the most sense. The guy that's really intriguing and would have been intriguing to me had they not drafted Justin Reed is Jonathan Abrams. I think he is very intriguing. I love his size. I love his athleticism. I love the fact that he can do pretty much anything you want out of that position. And the days of a pure, strong safety are gone. But then again, the days of a pure free safety, you've got to be able to do both. You've got to channel that because more teams are interchanging safeties, asking, you know, different guys to move into the box. And that's what the Texans do. Tyron's in the box some. Justin Reed's in the box some. You know, you have to interchange those spots. Jonathan Abrams, the type of guy that could do that. He is very intriguing to me. And I believe he's going to the senior bowl. So that's going to be a good, that's going to be a good proving ground for him to say, yes, I am, if not the best safety in this group, I am definitely one of the top three and I think he's going to get a lot of looks uh, in the back end of that first round. A good thing for him, at that point, that's where, you know, that's where you're going to go to playoff team. You know, I think about a team like Kansas City, you know, Eric Berry, you don't know how much longer he's got. That defense was dreadful. John Abrams could go to a place like Kansas City and step right in and impact that defense right away. And Kansas City's got some good luck with Mississippi State players, i.e. Chris Jones, uh, mm-hmm. who has been a huge figure for them. So, I think Abram is really, really attractive. Look, the receivers they are they they are all going to be high picks. I mean, you can see teams—teams teams need three and four wide receivers now with the way that they're throwing the football around. I think DK is going to be very intriguing as long as the medicals—as long as the medicals are fine. Then DK is going to be very intriguing. And we talked about this before. I think Jeffrey Simmons is an absolute football dude, but the video coming out. And the NFL people are going to go nuts, and the teams are going to they are going to back off. And that's really, I think, going to end up hurting him. Even though he's been a, a, a great guy at Mississippi State, that's going to end up rearing his ugly head. We just have to prepare ourselves for it. But he's going to go somewhere, and he's going to play very well. He might end up at the back end of the first, maybe the beginning of the second. And some team is going to get a big-time player, I think, with Jeffrey Simmons.
3: John, great stuff as always. Thanks for your time. Good luck this weekend. Thank you, Rick. We'll talk to you soon,
2: buddy. Thank you.